Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Money is changing, both in form and function. Money Reimagined is about the changing nature of money, digital currencies, and various topics related to finance, blockchain technology, artificial intelligence, and more. Michael Casey and Sheila Warren walk us through the dynamic and evolving nature of the global economy and the implications for businesses, governments, and individuals as they must adapt to new payment methods and technologies. Welcome to Money Reimagined. Welcome to Money Reimagined. I'm Sheila Warren. A reminder to listen to us weekly on the Coindesk Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you think. Email us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, Money Reimagined. This week, you've got Michael and I doing one of our riffs on the Week in Review and what's happening in the crypto ecosystem. It's been a wild week with tremendous activity coming out of Congress in the United States. We also had the launch of FedNow. Uh, we also have movement on some of the cases that have been making their way through the courts. Michael, where should we start? Well, look, they're all sort of muchness in a way. They all get to this question about policy and, and regulation and government involvement in, in the crypto space. I mean, FedNow being obviously the project for faster payments launched by the Federal Reserve. Let's go to your wheelhouse. Let's look at, let's look at those, those <laughs> bills that have, that have come making some progress now, a couple of them in the House. It feels like the very fact that it's happening is good. There is some degree of consensus. I think it was the the broad crypto bill, the, the one that's got into two committees that had yeah. six okay. Democrats vote for it. People seem very celebratory that there was this, that, that six of them were, you know, gave it this bipartisan feel. It speaks to our times that that's, that's considered a win, right? Wow, six people, right? I it, know. Um, well, here's my, also, here's my take to your point. Here's my take on the thread that connects Fed now and these bills. In the context of the United States, these are huge things. Like, I don't want to in any way discount yeah. that. The fact that, you know, comprehensive legislation on regulation of an entire asset class coming out of the House Ag and Financial Services Committee together, it, it's just a gigantic deal. And and yeah, six votes is six votes. But I mean, six votes by Democrats in a time when politics in the United States is so partisan is a big deal. And I think okay. we should Again, it speaks you know, about recognize. Time. Right. Yeah, it's, exactly. Deal. But it's a big deal in, context, in the context of, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. And then similarly, FedNow is a big deal in the United yeah. States. It is huge that we're going to have real-time settlement. But when you zoom out even a little bit in the context of the world, eh, 
you know? Uh, and so we can talk at length, I'm sure. It's not the innovation the U.S. thinks it is if you talk right. to most yeah. other countries in you the world. Anywhere else similarly. in the world, and you can pretty easily move your money That's from right. somebody else's bank and pay with your pay with your, your phone and whatever, and it's all done through a faster payment system that integrates you know, banks on a, on a now That's basis. right. And then similarly, the comprehensive digital assets regime. I mean, well, we already have that in other places. We have MECA. We have the MAS and their rules, right? right. So- Yay, the US, yay, you know, yeah, but it's yeah, also yeah. kind of like, eh, you know, so right. it just depends Catching on what you're taking on the conversation. Yeah. The Fed now one is the one that's really, I mean, that, that talk about that taking a long time. I suppose yeah. I'd want to know why that in particular has taken so long, right? That Because this isn't even a particularly contentious issue. I tell you, I have no idea. That we um, you know, it, it, it's just, about it. it's just, it's a plumbing issue. It's, it, it means that the Fed had to, you know, upgrade its own Fedwire uh, technology, I presume. But ultimately, this is just something that that meant that you had to upgrade systems amongst a bunch of banks and and obviously at the Federal Reserve itself. Whereas the crypto stuff is is all about you know politics and division, right? So I often wonder whether one of the biggest issues with the United States generally in the world of money, and I think it manifests as both political and as technical, is that just it's been so entrenched. Like I think of the dollar and the dominance of the dollar almost as the curse of the incumbent in the sense that big lumbering monopolies do not make change quickly because they're sitting on this cash cow. And in a way, being the world's reserve currency manager is is the equivalent of that in the world of money. So the sort of like the motive, the driving need to innovate, the competitive pressure is not there if you're just standard oil and you just you know, you know sit in the middle of the of every oil deal right i just think there's a parallel there and it may be one way to draw comparisons to both sort of legislative inertia or or just simply slowness and these sorts of technical technological changes in concert with that of course is this the, the deep political divide and the fact that it's like quite a dysfunctional political system so so i think these two factors probably come into play a little bit but i don't know if i may be making a leap with my monopoly comparison there I think it comes back in my mind fundamentally to the role that the US government sees itself playing in the world economy. Mm-hmm. And and I think that is uh well I think we all know what that what that role is, you know. And 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 I frankly don't think that most would dispute that. Some don't like it, but I don't think people would dispute, you know, that the US is to some extent monopolistic, the US dollar rather when it comes to its role and function in the global economy. And again, you know, opinions about this and feelings about this are going to differ widely, as we know, but this kind of remains, in my mind, pretty self-evident. Now, part of what I think you're trying to, you're seeing with a lot of movements, uh, you know, digital yuan, leaps to mind, even digital euro, is an attempt to chip away at that dominance, I think. Now, whether the, how deliberate that is depends on who you're talking to, but I think there is a pretty, pretty strong understanding that Doing that politically is not really the path, but maybe, maybe to your, maybe I think this is the point you're making, maybe technically there is some surface area there, right? And we've talked a lot on the show about digital yuan and how it isn't so much that we think people are going to want to use, quote, you know, Chinese surveillance money, as people call it, right? Uh, Hilarious, Um, as if other money is not surveilled, but regardless, there is that, right? Uh, However, it's really about the form factor And, and my view, you know, which is, pretty well documented at this point is once people really understand what programmable money can do for them, there's going to be tremendous demand signal. And further to the point I think you're making, 
you know, the fact that FedNow took so long, this thing that other countries have already had in place for, you know, a decade, that it took so long to get that across the line here does not necessarily bode well for the U.S.'s ability to roll out some kind of programmable money that would be uh, competitive with other offerings in terms of form factor. Now, leaning into that even harder is the reality that these two, we had these two big historic bills that went through committee vote. They passed out of committee last week. To just to frame that very quickly, what that means, they're now ready to go to the floor of the House for a vote. When that happens is a open question. We, there's no dates put on it. Uh, they, I'm pretty certain they will go to a floor vote. It depends. The timing on that is TBD. Uh, we do think that both of these bills have the votes to pass the House, then they go to the Senate. They may go to the Senate to die. We don't know, right? Remains to be seen. Now, that seems the more likely option to be very to be fair, but you know we have to see what happens and how it plays out. The bills were not similarly uh, passed, however, right? So you had the market structure bill, the FIT bill, sponsored by French Hill, which went through committee pretty cleanly, had these six votes from these six folks that you mentioned, uh, got a voice vote, which means the ag committee basically gave it a nod, moved it through very quickly, you know, and onward. Okay, that's not to discount the tremendous effort by a lot of folks, including folks on my team to kind of get that moving and explain it and whatnot. Stablecoin, the stablecoin bill was meant to be similar. And then kind of the 11th hour, there was a yeah. massive blow up, okay, between the Democrats and Republicans. And that thing really uh, <laughs> took a lot of doing to get it across the line. Okay, right. to connect that yeah. to my last thought, you would think that the US recognizing how technically complicated it was procedurally otherwise to get something like FedNow out there would want to support responsible stablecoin, responsible, you know, uh, asset backed, reserve backed, put rules around stablecoins so that the technical aspects of dollar dominance would not result in an erosion of dollar dominance. And I think that because the politics around dollar dominance are so entrenched, people just discount the form factor and think the technology underlying how you can use a dollar won't matter. I find that a bit frightening and I find it a bit naive. Yeah. So I was very concerned watching the stablecoin process, build process, as it were, <laughs> such as it was, because I think there's a fundamental lack of understanding about just how viral this kind of form factor is going to go once it really picks up. And if I may, I think that all we're doing by not passing robust stablecoin legislation, which I think should be the U.S.'s almost number one priority in this in this space, um, is is really allowing uh, you know stable coins that are not necessarily quote stable or that aren't necessarily you know backed by uh, assets that are healthy for the global digital economy shall I say to progress and proceed apace. I haven't followed it close enough, but I know that that um, McHenry was upset that the White House had sort of derailed the negotiations around the stable coin, and so there was clearly a push on that side to undermine it. Is that a fair characterization? And what is your understanding of exactly what the nub of the issue was. There's a lot of speculation still about it, but the things that seem pretty clear are, there's a couple of issues that have been contentious for a while. One is the relationship between the federal government and the states when it comes to regulation. Okay, so it's a general matter. Uh, that has been an issue, particularly from the New York Democrats uh, for some time. Uh, just what is the role of some of the state regulators going to be in this? Uh, and how do they preserve, you know, their their surface area in terms of their ability to engage? So that that's kind of one thing that you and know. The again, Democrats are coming out in support of this, the state regulators in that case. Well, I think there's just a lot of feelings from various people, and it's all mixed about what should happen and what the role should be. And I think those are really healthy conversations. Mm -hmm. What's a little frustrating is like those are the same issues that you know plagued the the last year. 
So there's been a lot of time to presumably address some of those. And yet, you know, kind of here we are. So I, I don't I don't mean to put that on the fault of any party. Mm-hmm. I think it's really complicated. Okay, so there's that. Uh, another one is uh, this issue of the role of certain federal regulators. So the prudential regulators, you know, what is their role in all of this? Should the OCC have a role? Some of those things I think are complicated as well. Both of which speak to the, the multifaceted regulatory, you know, jurisdictional structure of the United States itself, right? But anyway, yeah. Well, I think that's exactly the point. That's exactly right. To go back to my earlier comment, as much as we're like, oh, the MAS got this done so quickly, blah, blah, blah. well, I mean, okay, yeah. great, but like well, easy, easy, right? It's like yeah, one yeah. regulator makes yeah. the rules. No need for yeah. like they have to collaborate with themselves. They have to argue with all their you know split personality. The MAS whatever. for people who don't know is the Monetary Authority of Singapore, which speaks volumes about what what the issue is. Yeah, okay, there all it is, right. right? Whereas here, I mean, the whole issue here has been a bit of a turf war, as we know. It's like, who gets to regulate this? What does that mean? What does it mean for their budget? How are they going to get funded? You know, the DCCPA, which was the bill that came out last year uh, out of the Ag, the Senate Ag Committee, uh, that one, part of what made that so unique and exciting to the CFTC was that it had a funding mechanism for the CFTC. So keep in mind, the SEC has has funding that comes through the ways that it's able to assign user fees. It's able to get a fee off of ordinary activities. So it has a somewhat of a self-funding mechanism. The CFTC does not. The CFTC mm. has to get budget allocated every year by Congress. And that isn't fun. you know. So a lot of this is about the fundamental power dynamic between our agencies, which again, with the MAS, it's just the MAS. There's no power, mm-hmm. there's no turf war. Well, there mm-hmm. is, I'm sure, internally and all that. There's always that, any organization. But apart from that ordinary sort of politic, there's not anything going on that's at a macro level. That's the opposite of our experience here, right? Mm -hmm. So I also think the passage of Fed now, the timing of that did cause a kerfuffle in terms of shouldn't we let Fed now settle a bit before we do something with stable coins? And shouldn't we see a real-time settlement through this mechanism meets all of our needs and blah, blah, blah. Which I think, okay, great, but that is not the point. That just completely yeah, that, that, the point of what's it, needed yeah, here, right? Yeah, that's yeah. A, it's totally orthogonal question, an interesting one, but an orthogonal one. So the conversations that various folks are having are just completely different conversations. But that, but, and it's almost a never the twain shall meet situation. But those actually sound like, yes, deeply entrenched problems to solve and a you know manifestation of a unique you know, problems in the United States. It doesn't sound quite as sort of politically divisive a problem as we've seen. Like, you know, the fact that this is being derailed by conversations around states' rights as opposed to, I don't know, the classic insertions of privacy issues and money laundering concerns and the stuff that is the go-to topics for the likes of Elizabeth Warren and, and others who sort of have this very anti-crypto take. I don't know. What does that mean? Were those issues also there? You know, is the White House obstructing this? a function of that sort of more politicized anti-crypto thing? Or was it just, as you say, there was just all these different issues? That got yeah. Well, again, I mean, the White House is not monolithic. And I should I just want to be very clear to listeners. When we say the White House, we're not mm. talking about President Biden, okay? President yeah. Biden views on crypto. Where. We're talking about uh, st- senior staffers at the White House across various agencies mm-hmm. who have uh, differing views on some of this stuff. There is no question there are folks in this administration who are very anti-crypto. Uh, they don't see the point. They think it's dangerous. They think it's just used for illicit you know, finance, all this kind of stuff. OK, there are folks who I think are neutral uh, on crypto. They just don't really care about crypto. It's not that they have a problem with crypto. It's just not a priority. It is not a yeah. priority. What is a priority is establishing the Fed, uh, U.S. dollar dominance, all those kinds of things. That's a priority. Um, I will say at this moment in time, I, I don't know that there's anybody left in the administration who is pro crypto, who thinks crypto is, you know, the the be all end all, you know, kind of thing. And, and that is certainly a challenge. 
uh, for industry, I should say. So I think it ranges from quite negative and hostile to neutral, but just not a priority. And fair enough. I mean, there are a lot of things on people's plates right now. Okay. So I think that's where things stand. Now, who has influence where and this and that and all that kind of thing and, and who had issues with what and who's talking to whom and all of this is, is really complicated. It's really complicated. But I think also we have to recognize that we're a little bit in the upside down when it comes to politics in the United States right now. And I'll go back again and just remind folks, you know, the fact that we had this bipartisan legislation move out of the House, this is a House that took 15 votes to get a speaker elected, something that normally just floats through as kind of a perfunctory Mm -hmm. vote, right? Uh, With a lot of cheering accompanying it. So the fact that we had a bill of this magnitude, it's 200 pages long. The fact that Mm -hmm. this bill moved through in a bipartisan Mm -hmm. way, it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. And that should not be discounted. Okay, good. You saw me. Like it, It is like in the context of everything, but let's put the positive spin on it. What do you think is getting people over the line into that bipartisan world to say, hey, we need to do something on this? Is there a growing awareness of the competitive challenge from the rest of the world? Is there a view that this tech actually is something that should be viewed outside of politics, that it has, you know, something in it for everybody? It's, if you yeah, like, it's a great question. I think it's a number of. So I do think there are some people that are concerned that the US is giving up a competitive advantage uh, and offshoring technology. I think that's frankly, a more minor concern than it should be, but it is present. I think there are some folks who are not pleased with how Gary Gensler is approaching all of this. And I think the Judge Torres uh, order actually came down. And and even if people agreed or didn't agree, it was clear like, oh, it's not just we take whatever Gary Gensler says and he is automatically de facto Mm -hmm. right. Something has to be done here. And then frankly, I think there are people who are just fatigued you can count mm. me in that bucket, mm. Michael, at this point, yeah, right? I mean, like, can uh, we just definitely. get this done and uh-huh. move on with our lives like everybody else in the world has for the love of, you know, come mm-hmm. on, you know? So I think there's some of that too. Like, can we just get on with it and do something and do something that's, that's, that is historic and that is a big deal? And can we just kind of like agree that this is complicated and at least get it moving? So I think it's a variety of things that are bringing people to the table. But I also think, lastly, and to no means discount this, I do think there are people that are like, this is a really critical opportunity for the United States. Some of those folks, you know, Warren Davidson gave passionate, you know, passionate speech on the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, at the committee. Uh, you've got a number of people that, that truly, Richie Torres gave a passionate, you know, speech about this. So I think there are people that truly believe and understand this. Uh, they are few and far between the folks who really have taken the time to understand this technology. But those who do, I mean, they are just as committed to it as the rest of us. So I do think those folks exist. Uh, they're a minority the same way some of the other groups are a minority. Uh, and I do think just kind of wanting to do something is a big driver, which, yeah. hey, you know, I think that's I think that's right. <laughs> well, the fact, that these, with the, doing something. Right, the fact that these bills have been around, or that these particular bills, but some form of legislation has been around for a long time. You know, yeah. if you've been dealing with this and had any involvement at a, at, you know, at a committee level, you're probably like that. Oh, my God, let's just do something. Right. Like, it's just must be incredibly frustrating to be, to be <laughs> so, so behind it. And now that, you know, have you, you've laid it out, I do take a positive takeaway from the fact that, you know, you got six in a, in a committee to do it. I think that's a very interesting statement because it may be a way of measuring, you know, progressive awareness, progressive mindsets. Right. It's just bit by bit and there's folks coming along as opposed to like we take i think we walked away from in in this crypto winter with all of the angst associated with it and particularly of course the uh you know the actions taken by gensler and co that we oh god 
the U.S. is really divided on this issue, that this is, you know, highly politicized and everything else. And I've written articles like this. Look, look I did do think that there has been a politicization of the issue and that there was that one particular review from the White House that was extremely, had gone from being that tremendously forward-looking EO, you know, two years or a year and a half ago to being this harder line thing. So it struck me that politicizing crypto was a legitimate thing to say. But maybe underneath that, we see the noise at the top, but actually bit by bit, people are becoming educated, becoming aware less divided, asking the right questions, making sure that legitimate concerns are being addressed and not bucketing all this into some big, high-level, noisy attack on what it's all about. So that's, I think, a positive takeaway from it. Maybe that's, it's actually the lesson of all democracies as well. Like, just look at how people vote, and that's how you, you can walk away from it, and it's actions speak louder than words sort of thing. Unfortunately, voting patterns have become, to the example you were showing, entirely politicized as well. So if in this yep. case that bucked the trend, then it is a very interesting development in that sense. So yeah, yeah, I'm with you. It's all context, right? Laws get made in the political environment in which they are brought forth. And some laws only get brought forth in certain political environments and some laws, you know, don't. But you have to kind of play the hand you're dealt. And this is a extremely, it's not the most complicated time we've ever had in American politics, but you got to go pretty far oh, back to find a time bad. where we're divided, right? For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. No, For no, sure. no. It, it is like, it's just a, you know, and you know me, I I, I put this down a lot to, to social media. Like, I just think that we, yep. we've created a an information system everywhere in the world for that matter. But clearly in the United States, it's played out in the most extreme way that has just created these entrenched, uh, sides, you know, it's just have yep. to look on my little sort of platform. I go on a lot here, but you really just need to look at where the biggest Twitter followers are amongst political figures in the United States. Let's not forget AOC is just a representative from New York, and, and look, and she's smart. She's also she just knows how to get a rise. She knows how to really yeah. say, and she's got 13 million followers. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene has got somewhere like three million. Yeah. You find a moderate like Liz Cheney, and they've got I don't know 400 or 500 thousand. These middle of the road people who are really smart. I, I bet Warren Davidson doesn't have too many Twitter followers. This is the, the reality we live in. We've polarized our conversation. And but, you know, and here it does get back to crypto because these are centralized platforms that are have developed a system uh, that hews towards these instincts. And unfortunately, our political system goes along with it. Well, that's what I want to pivot us to is I, I'm here in San Francisco. I did get to see the giant X that Elon put on. Uh, yes, which has now come down, has now come down. What do you think happens to crypto Twitter now that Twitter is X? I will always call it Twitter forever and forever more. But it- well, the problem is there's so many like exchanges and one infamous one, of course, with had the X in it. You know, every every second exchange in crypto has or had X. So crypto X sounds just like yet another exchange. What happens to crypto Twitter now that you've got Elon making, I mean, my feed, I don't know how your feed is these days, but I can't find yeah. the people I usually, I just can't find yeah. them. I don't no, know. I no, like, it's, it's I, such I, effort, I, right? I've got no idea why Elon has blown this thing up because- <laughs> For fun? I don't know. It seems like it's just for like, why not? I don't know. Yeah, I get that they might think there's a you know value proposition in signing up and creating the sort of false scarcity uh, premium and therefore driving people into subscribing yeah. for the blue checks. And the theory, I suppose, being that if you could have that subscription income, then you don't need to be beholden to these advertising-driven algorithms. But they're just doing, it seems to me, everything they can to just throw cheap promotional ads at me. I mean, I the number of 
unwanted stuff that's coming my way and how on earth is this person in my feed it does feel like it's just the algorithm itself is just being absolutely distorted by by all these changes that have happened to it and so it is much further away from being an open it already was had gone away from being the open sort of you know follower based feed now i just get a bunch of promos thrown at me all the time whether they are literally promotions or some other tweet that i never signed up for it's something just to recognize Look, the battle that Elon is having, I do hope that he actually literally does have a physical battle with Mark Zuckerberg. I do think I would actually watch that. <laughs> uh, 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 the, the martial arts, uh, the, the, the mixed martial arts fight in the cage, that would be worth watching, I must say. But <laughs> the, the economic and business battle over threads is pretty yeah. interesting because Musk is talking about having their data stolen. It's Twitter's data. And, and any of us that care about this stuff is like, okay, thanks for admitting yep. that. It's Elon. the best it's, advertisement it's really for Web3 social it's that like, you could possibly yeah, great. imagine. So right? you're now going to go to, yeah, going to go and fight Mark, Mark on your right to keep stealing our data and using yeah. it. So it's yeah, wild. It's a, it, is, it is the best advert for for Web3 social that I could possibly have dreamt up. I mean, you can't even make this stuff that's up. Right. That's right. You, you, you do unreal. love it when your enemies, you know, start killing each other. It's, it, it, <laughs> yeah. is, it is really good. Um, but you, one last thing, because we we should have to wrap this up. But you, yeah. you mentioned uh, the courts as well playing a role in here, and like you know, I mean, you mentioned Judge Torres. What do you see happening there? It's so funny. I was asked today, earlier today, you know, who, who's going to go first? Who's going to move first, Congress or the courts? And I said, well, normally I would have said Congress, but with this Congress going into election year, uh, and with the Senate, like I don't know, right? The courts were looking at a year at a minimum before Ripple, the Ripple case is at a place where the trial is completed and people could appeal. And, you know, are they going to appeal? And will Gary Gensler even be the person there anymore? Who knows, right? So uh, you just can't really predict any of that, I don't think, and the way it's going to play. But I do think with Congress, same. I mean, there's not super positive signs from the Senate that this is a priority by any means. In fact, some, you know, killing it as a priority, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know. This is going to be kind of a depressing note to end on, but I'm not sure that either of these current pathways that we have leads us to the clarity that we need. I don't know, because I think there's too much that could happen in the Ripple, the set of cases, but Ripple being sort of the one that's moving fastest, and then Congress. So what is clear to me is that there is no clarity. And I think that it is impossible with a straight face to look at this environment, everything that's happening, and say, Yes, it is extremely obvious how these assets are regulated, how they should be regulated, and you know how people should conduct themselves in the industry. I mean, that is a, I think that is just an absolutely ridiculous thing at this point to say. Uh, whereas I think a year ago, that wasn't necessarily a ridiculous claim to make, right? Uh, I knew that it was silly, but you had to know a lot more to be able to you know, understand why that was silly. Now it's just abundantly obvious it's silly. So something must be done. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And, and I, I wish I knew, but I, I which would go first and, and all of that. So I think for those in industry, the answer is, you know, just keep educating, keep, you know, driving and driving use cases. And, and really, I mean, my view on this always, which I'll end with, uh, I'll close this out with today is, you know, builders should focus on building. People hmm. in policy should focus on policy. I do not think it's the time for everyone to flood the halls of Congress or to get crazy. And that's just not useful and never useful. I do think there are times when calling your congressperson is valuable. And those are things that are important when there is a vote coming, et cetera. But for the most part, you know, recognition that all these things are jobs. Building in this industry is very tough. It's tough not just because of the regulatory climate. It's tough because the technology being built upon and with is, is complicated. Uh, you know, building something that is revolutionary is hard. Uh, policy is also an exceptionally challenging job. It's always challenging, but at this current moment, there is so much detail and nuance that if you're not in it on a day-to-day basis, 
you couldn't possibly know where the minefields are. You couldn't know and you shouldn't be expected to. So leaving everyone, I think, to their strengths is really important with the hope that over time, at whatever that time frame winds up being, we'll be able to demonstrate the value and it'll become that will become equally silly. It'll become equally silly to say this industry and this innovation is, you know, has no value and it's just fanciful and, and ridiculous. It will become as silly as the statement that there is regulatory clarity in the US and everyone knows and knows what to do and it's just choosing not to do it. Those that'll become equally silly and that is certainly my hope. Okay. Well that's there you go. You took a negative to an optimistic position. <laughs> that's my yeah, a, a message of hope from Sheila yes, Warren. There it is. Turn it around. Right. Turn it around. Okay. Always hopeful. Thanks. Thank you very much, Sheila, for that. I appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you also to all of our listeners for joining us uh, this week. And stay tuned and join us next week for another episode of Money Reimagined. You've been listening to Money Reimagined. This episode has been produced and edited by Michelle Mousseau. Our executive producer is Jared Swartz. Our theme song is Aida by Neon Beach. Download wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, Money Reimagined. Or you can reach out to me directly at Michelle with one L at coindesk.com. Thanks for listening.